0: What's up? Welcome to Build. This is Maggie. Today, I have Todd Olson on the show. He's the CEO and founder at Pendo. He's been a longtime entrepreneur, and he recently wrote a book called The Product-Led Organization. So I figured this was finally my chance to figure out what exactly is product-led growth or a product-led organization and why it's relevant, even if, as I assumed, you're not a growth PM. I hope you enjoy it. Todd, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Maggie. It's great to be here.
0: Great. So I'm excited to talk today about something that candidly I have mostly been ignoring as a thing that's just for growth people, but turns out that it's actually relevant for lots more people in product, and that's product led growth and their product led organization. So I think where I'd like to start is just Todd, from you to level set on some basics. Like, what do those terms actually mean? And help me understand why they're relevant for people and product and not just a specific like growth PM, for example.
1: Great. Yeah, great question. So yeah, I think product-led growth is maybe the more widely known term, and it really derives from this notion of the, I mean, I'm going to be very literal here, the product-driving growth. So if you think about good examples of here, one, it, it often talks about the... The whole early parts of the funnel from from grabbing the lead to the trial conversion, you often heard like conversion as a function of a product like growth, but also just virality. And, and, and virality can be everything from invite your friends, invite your your colleagues. And that's very often the case in collaboration software, You know where you start using something, want to bring on team members, invite them, they get an email, they get brought in. But even, you can even relate to software that you know you get an email and at the bottom of that is a click here to refer a friend that's also a type of product like growth the product itself is spitting out this email at the bottom of the email there's some way to do a reference so product like growth is a way to just you know it kind of assumes that uh, humans are not the ones doing the growth it's the product itself so there's more automation in it now if i take that to the product led organization what we mean there is it goes beyond just the capture and conversion of customers it's looking at the entire customer experience and trying to discover ways to help evolve from a human led motion to a product led motion and you know one of the easy examples here is the notion of self service you know invariably you're using a product you may have a question of course you can contact support and that's a very traditional way of doing it, but a product-led organization, or even more simply, a product-led support organization, could have some sort of widget or some sort of you know chats. Maybe the the basic example here to communicate with, but you could have self-service help or some ways to answer the question in the product without engaging humans. Chat's kind of a hybrid because. Chat does often engage humans. There's someone on the other side of that. But then there's chatbots, which chat bots are uh, non-human driven. It's more more automation and AI driven. So that's kind of how we like to think of the product-led organization is that it's really about evolving from human-led to product-led activities to help make a better customer experience.
0: Right. And I'm curious, like... Why do you think that this is the the way that companies are starting to go? Because is there something inherently like better, more efficient in this type of model than using the the human led models?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, geez, I, I don't I don't think like, you know, it's Saturday at 3 p.m. and you're trying to, you know, mess around with your medical benefits because that's the one time you have time to do it. And you can't figure out the software. So what you want to like then call a human, sit on hold for 30 minutes and then actually then go solve it. No, of course not. I think we live in a world now where we expect to be able to go on our phones and just like make things happen. You know, I mean, uh, I, I you, know, you know, if anything, I think it's one of the one things we learned in COVID is that. Automation is pretty powerful. I mean, a lot of us, maybe all of us. I, mean, I don't, maybe want to. Yeah, I'd probably say almost all of us on this phone call or they're listening to this podcast ordered their groceries without talking to a human. And while, yeah, invariably they would screw up things like like super hard avocados, and that's irritating. <laughs> Aside from that, I mean, it's a pleasurable experience, and I, I think that's what's driving it. It's it's the expectation of the the user base.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's interesting. I think. That's something that more commonly you'd you'd maybe talk about in a B2C company where customers or people have this expectation of immediate service and there's no reason to wait because everything is catered to being available all the time. But I'm, I'm curious, like, is this something that you see? I mean, I certainly see it moving into the enterprise, but I'm curious, like, what companies are being really successful with this model and does it work for all types of companies? Like, how should PMs think about... This type of thing in the context of their business, especially if they're in the enterprise.
1: I think it's a misconception that it's only consumer. I think consumer organizations were forced to do it sooner, but um, you know, if I'm paying a hundred thousand dollars for a B2B application, do I want to have to rely on support? Like, no. Like, it should be pretty obvious, or I should be able to handle it myself. So I, I think the expectations are just as high. I mean, the example I gave was was HR software, which is know traditionally a B2B application we um, and it it maybe it's more sophisticated in that HR software is kind of like almost B2B to C. It's they're selling it to a company and then the end user is often just an employee of the company trying to mess around again with their benefits or what have you. But we saw disruption in that space. I mean look at the gustos and the Zenefits, you know disrupting that space solely on user experience solely on a better product led experience. So I think that's a really really good example of B2B software but you know, we're seeing it across every single industry. You know, another good example is real estate. You know, um, you know we work with Remax and, and Remax is trying to find ways to train all of their agents without flying in trainers to all the various little local offices around the country and teach them how to use their CRM system. So we've been partnering with them in their CRM system and try to find product led ways to drive adoption of their CRM, which studies have shown that they're that the agents that use the technology tend to sell more homes and tend to be more successful. So we want to get them adopting it. And geez, it'd be cool if we can get the product to do it themselves. So I think there's lots of examples here and there's just a few.
0: It's interesting. It's also, I think, maybe a a bias or a misconception that I had was that when you're saying things not you but when one is saying things like product led my brain immediately goes to product management led but what i'm hearing is that it's really not about the product team but it's about using the product as a vehicle to engage the customer in more ways
1: that's brilliant yeah absolutely that's exactly what i meant and, and you know this is part of like our preconceived notions when we hear these terms like mm-hmm. Sales led or marketing led, I I think we want to associate with it with like some personification of that term. Like this, you know, when people you know, say like Oracle is a sales led organization, usually it's not used in a positive way, by the way. It's usually it's usually it's usually a, a dig against the company. So then people take that analog to things like product led or customer led. They try to assume it's some organization. No, I I I really don't um I mean I think product management plays a role in all of this, but it's about the product leading the business, um, and the other thing, you know, I, I use the term customer led. I also do, don't think those two terms are orthogonal. You know, uh, you can be a very customer led organization that is also product led. They are not distinctions. I, I think many of the great organizations I know are very customer led and very product led. So, like, does, just because you are one or the other doesn't doesn't mean it's not they're not mutually exclusive. That's what I am trying to say.
0: Right. That makes sense. So then I don't think anyone would argue the fact that, you know, we want to be more responsive to the ways customers are trying to engage with us. But I'm curious, have you seen, like, what does it look like for a company to switch to this model? And like, what what can be really hard about trying to become product-led?
1: Well, look, I mean, one of the biggest challenges, as you can imagine, there's lots of narratives and frankly, the the broader media around AI and the effects on the workforce. And I mean, you get this, this fear Anytime you shift something from a human-led motion to a product-led or automation-led motion, that you know somehow it means a, a reduction in jobs or or things like that, or maybe a reduction in quality. You know, I think about companies that pride themselves white glove service. Mm-hmm. Well, can you provide white glove service in a digital fashion? And look, I, I'm. I mean, I'm a Tesla customer, and I can tell you that I, I I do not feel like I don't get white glove service when I use their digital interfaces. Now it takes a lot of design, it takes a lot of thoughtfulness, but you absolutely can do so, but you have to be creative. I also think and going back to my former point, um, you have to help have a vision for the humans on how their roles evolving as the computers or the product offloads the, the the work. And what I like, the term I like, I really like here is that the product's often offloading high volume, low value activities. You know, I was talking to a large financial institution recently where like 45% of a financial service representative's time is spent just on monotonous things, opening, closing accounts, things that are basic. You could just do it on a keyboard or a computer, right? So, How do we free those individuals up to be like, real partners and real value add. And, and I thought it would be more interesting work. So I think that's the thing to change the conversation to. And I think that that's how you're more successful there.
0: Right. So if, let's say I was a, a traditionally sales led organization. Like what are the traps I'm going to fall into if I'm going to try to become product led outside of just the changing that perception on, on what it's going to mean for the people?
1: I think it's mostly fear-driven. I mean, I, you know, I, I I talk to organizations now where, like, here's an example. Like, a lot of companies employ freemium models to drive product like growth. That's probably more of a growth example, and people are fearful that's going to cannibalize sales, right? And I think you have to find a way to overcome that fear and run experiments to show that no. There are just different kinds of buyers. Some buyers want to talk to a human. Maybe they're, they're less knowledgeable about this space. But what if you have a buyer that's like incredibly knowledgeable, like knows it as well as you do? Like, to, like it's too slow for them to get on the phone and talk to a human, right? And that means a product-led motion is probably a better motion. And, and you're actually alienating that market by forcing them into a sales-led motion. So like getting that confidence, I think is really, really important.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's an easy example for us at Drift being our whole philosophy is like making sales and marketing more conversational and more buyer centric. And we definitely believe and have seen like people know what they want. They're able to do their own research, like get them the right information at the right time and like don't make them wait is is one of the best things you can do for the growth of your business. Exactly. Yeah. So then I'm curious, we talked a little bit about this before, but. How does this like again? I think I'm I'm a, still a little bit stuck in like the traditional examples in my head I have of product led growth and what, what that means. But like what if you have a product that is like specifically for, you know, one certain type of role within an organization and it's not going to be something that's going to be like spreadable, like Slack could spread through an organization or like any other tool that sort of anyone could use, but something that's let's, you know, drift sold maybe to a marketing operations person, like it's not going to be viral because that's one. Use case. How do you think about growth in that sense?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, I, I think, I think you could you could expand beyond some of the very direct growth to more indirect growth opportunities. But one of the classic ones, I think, is reviews and referrals. Like, like if you're delivering an amazing experience and a sales operations person loves your product maybe survey that person and the person gives you a really high score in the survey, that's a great opportunity to say, hey, would you like to leave a review? Now, by leaving a public review for your software, that is another opportunity for someone else who's evaluating various solutions to get a first-person account of why they love your software. That probably is going to drive growth. Now, a little less direct than just at a user right here in the in the Slack Zoom example, but it's clearly going to drive growth, right? So I think that's an easy example that uh, you could start using immediately to drive growth.
0: Yeah, and I, I, that made me think that there seems to be a theme in this type of world where your product itself has to be higher quality. Like I would imagine this type of model, you can't hide, not that you should in, in the first place, but you can't really hide behind a sales team when you're using product-led things or doing product-led activities because like the whole thing is resting on your product being good at what it's supposed to be doing
1: yeah maybe that's a foregone conclusion but yeah it product needs to be good and, and the other thing it's important to note is that you can't do things digital just for the sake of them being digital like if it doesn't make sense doesn't solve a real problem isn't a pain point isn't a good experience it's not going to lead to good outcomes you know i i was thinking about an example before I walked in here of, of examples of product led strategies that don't work and I was recalling um, you know my talking to my my parents a few weekends ago, and my my mom simply wanted to get a coupon at her local grocery store, and the grocery store literally forced her to download an application, put it in an email address, get a password. To get some qr code then send it back like i mean seriously it and my mom was like mom's kind of scared of technology so and then she she had my my dad and then my dad he's patience threshold at his age is reduced a lot uh so like (laughs) he's angry she's upset like she literally just won like half off like like a whole chicken so um, (laughs) um that is not a good example of Product led anything, (laughs) right? (laughs) That's irritating. Um, So, um, so don't do digital and don't do product led for the sake of it. Like that's going to lead to really bad outcomes. So,
0: right? Yeah, I'm curious. Like, are there other examples you can think of of when product led is is not a good idea? Either, I mean, obviously that's one example, but like in a specific industry, or do you think this is really something that that everyone should be taking advantage of?
1: I do really think it's probably more more people should be taking advantage just than not. I mean, the, the reality is we have leveraged humans way too much to solve real problems when technology could solve them. But yeah, I, I think in areas that are really high white glove service, nothing's going to replace the experience you have walking into a Ritz Carlton. I mean, it just isn't. Mm-hmm. And and things like that, you know, now um, some of them are trying, you know, by putting like iPads in the room and doing cool things with that. So I think, I think you, you can look to augment it, but I think white gloves big and then just knowing your audience. I mean, you know, the example I was talking about, of course, were people that are less comfortable with technology and say my generation. So, um, to know your audience and consumer base, you know, th- there, there certainly may be some areas that are better than others. So,
0: right. Okay. And then, so let's say we're, we're bought in, we're all in on product led, like what other organizational changes come along with that? Like tactical things, like what happens to who, you know, who in an organization is owning like pricing and packaging and like, how does it change the way the business has to operate?
1: Yeah. Well, one, I, I, you, you touched on this a little bit earlier. I, I do think there is an emergence in a lot of even traditional businesses with, with hiring product managers. You know, I was talking to a large manufacturer the other week who said uh, he, he said that they've shifted from a business IT model to a product and engineering model. I think you're going to see that more and more. Where and this is a traditional, like really traditional business, you're going to see the rise of product managers at financial institutions, insurance companies, um, because they're going to be thinking about all of these experiences at digital products. I think that's the first fundamental change that you're going to see is that like product managers no longer be relegated to tech companies. It's going to be a broad role across all traditional businesses. And it's going to go beyond. I think IT is going to evolve. So that's kind of the first thing. Look, in, in product uh, pricing and packaging for me, usually lives in like product marketing. And um, I, do, I do think there's a lot of synergies there. And, and yeah, I, I think for, for that model and the other thing that reminded for me was I think you're going to see more interesting cross-functional hybrid teams where, yes, while people are hiring product managers, product manager may sit in marketing, hence like a growth marketer or a growth PM. You you see that role more commonly. But, uh, you know, I was even talking about product managers focusing on retention. Maybe you have a Like like for example, who owns onboarding in a company? Traditionally, customer success owns the onboarding experience, but what if you're going for a product-led onboarding experience? Because the reality is most of your users don't sit through the first meeting. Most of your users come in later. After the sales happen, like six months later, you hire a bunch more people, they come in. You wanna give them a good experience. You can't rely on humans. You need a product-led onboarding experience. Who owns that? Does CS own that? Does product own that? It's probably a cross-functional team probably a CS oriented product manager or a product manager sitting with CS designing, iterating on that solution. That's the right answer. So I think you're going to see more of these hybrid cross-functional teams that span roles.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. That's, that's definitely a topic that I think most, almost every product manager can can sort of understand pretty quickly. And I think we've, we've definitely in our own company have gone back and forth between, you know, is it a project? Is it a team that is always there? Like, how do we think about it? So, yeah, that's a really good one and something that I feel like people are constantly iterating on, which is, you know, how do you maintain onboarding and, like, what's the role of that team?
1: Yeah, and look, I mean, I also – one of the other roles that we've seen emerging in organizations is this notion of product operations, kind of an Ops role, uh, whose focus is to do some of this coordination cross-functionally and help manage the overall holistic experiences. You know, last thing you want to do is, you know, if marketing is leveraging the product for this and CS is leveraging the product for this, who is the traffic cop for making sure that the product isn't a mess? You know, obviously user experience is part of this, but you can leverage a centralized operations team to help coordinate all this, you know, across the product.
0: So... Actually, just digging into that a little bit, like, what would that person, with that person in your mind, or maybe you have this in your organization, like, are they impacting the actual, what the product is and what it does? Or is it more like a communication layer? Like, what is that role actually doing?
1: Yeah, it, it's more of a process and coordination layer than it is making the actual decisions. Like, you know, the product ops, at at least at Pendo and other organizations that we, we've chatted with, they own... How the teams work together to deliver a great experience, and but yet still achieve their outcomes they own. Okay, we're we're trying to run a voice to the customer campaign where we're collecting feedback. How does it get divvied out to the various groups so that we can then create feedback loops and communicate back to the customer in a consistent, unified way, rather than you know having it. 10 people communicate back with the customer. So it's really about centralization and coordination more than anything else.
0: Right. And I'm just totally switching gears. I'm curious, like, how did this become something that you got really interested in? I see the writing on the wall with, the, with customers and with where the industries are going, but like, why did this become something for you that you wanted to get so involved in?
1: I've been passionate about product for a while. I mean, the reality is, I've been building products since a very early age, and, and one of the, the most frustrating things you have as a product person is building something that misses the mark, that doesn't get used, that doesn't quite deliver the value you intended. And, and then, then as a consumer of software, like, the last thing you want to do is go use something that just doesn't work or falls flat or is irritating. Like, like I you know, get mad. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, like, I wish I was more patient. And so I I wanted to kind of solve this problem. And and the the cool thing or interesting thing is what what I saw is, especially working with some of the, the, the interesting customers we had, is I started seeing just different use cases that weren't tech companies. They were just like banks and insurance companies. And now they're starting to struggle with these problems because, you know, it's the whole software scene in the world and every company is becoming a software company. It just made me realize that there's we need more work in this area because and if we don't do it the way we interact with brands and companies is going to be a significant disadvantage because it's all going to be digital and if it's bad yeah it's not going to go well for us so I think again, that is the, the genesis of my passion you know I but yeah it's pretty exciting
0: yeah And because I'm, I'm especially curious, I think from your background, one of the things that I think a lot of PMs say, or at least the PMs that I know, you know, maybe myself included, like maybe we want to be founders one day. So I'm just curious, like, was that passion sort of part of why you've been an entrepreneur and why you wanted to do this? What advice do you have on, on picking that problem?
1: Yeah, this is the third time I've, I've started a company. I, I. You know, when I was young, like young, like high school, young, I did start working professionally. never thought I was going to be an entrepreneur. I, I thought it would for some reason be a banker. Like, I, I don't know why I thought that. And I have nothing against banking, by the way. But I, once I I got the bug, the entrepreneurial bug, you know, I, I just love creating. I love creating something from nothing. It's uh, I love going deep on a problem and really trying to solve it. I love talking to customers and hear how, um, you know, I was talking to a customer last night that I never imagined would have been a Pendo customer that, that says, you know, we couldn't run our business without you. And I was like, shocked, <laughs> I mean, not I me, mean, shocked, shocked, but like like pleasantly surprised, like just, it feels good to get a shot in the arm every once in a while. And and um, so, yeah, look, I, I think coming from a product background where we, we get taught as product managers to do a lot of listening, have a lot of empathy, focus a lot on iterating, I think it's really good characteristics to to run businesses. I mean, these are all the things that, that ultimately really, really matter. And, and honestly, if you don't get the product right, nothing else is going to go well. So like product market fit is the first milestone that's critical. And you got to be patient and you can't rush it. Like every time I've tried to rush it, bad things have happened. So like we, we didn't rush it and like it feels good, like and, and things get easier. So, yeah, I think it's a great place to, to solve problems and and. Create businesses. So.
0: Do you think that a founder needs to have like a specific personal connection to the problem that they're solving? Yeah, I think it helps a
1: lot. Yeah. Yeah. One of the... And I coach young entrepreneurs or new entrepreneurs all the time. And, and you know, especially if they want seed financing, I always say like... Yeah. <laughs> Like when you get in seed financing, it's literally an investor taking a risk on a team and ultimately a market. Those are one of the two things you know. Like they often don't have product, or if it's product, is super weak. They may have a customer too, but they may have bought them, or they're the best friends, or something like that. So like you can't you got to discount most of the quote unquote traction. So it's usually just you know a couple of humans and whatever big problem they're trying to solve. So like the, the the market thing is you know that that's one thing you can validate. But then it comes down. To, I always ask the entrepreneurs why you. Why are you the person best suited to solve this problem? What about your background? What about your personal experience? Because, like, this is a labor of love. Like, you're going to have some good days and they feel better, but you're probably going to have more hard days. So, you have to be one of these people that can live on uh, imbalance between the good days and bad days. And, like, the good days need to feel like 10x because they're going to help carry through those bad days. And if you're not passionate about this problem, you'll get tired of it before anything really meaningful happens. So look, I don't, I don't like saying, you know, blah, 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 can't do this if they don't have personal connections. Like I'm sure someone has proved me wrong or someone will. So I'm not big on rules like that, but I think, boy, it helps a lot.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Okay. Well, we're almost out of time, but I just have one last question. Like any advice you have or what's the advice you like to give to people who are product managers who are aspiring founders?
1: Well, one, I mean, if you're a product manager now, I mean, uh, and if you're at a great company who has the the pleasure of working for or closely to a a product-oriented founder, like make sure you get as much out of that experience as you can, you know, because that's the first thing. I mean, learning by someone great, there's no replacement for that. Like you can't go to some college or university and get that level of learning. So that's the number one problem I see is that people like leave great organizations to great product people so quickly when they don't realize what they had. You know, it's like, wow, like you get to sit and watch this person work and, and try to surround yourself and hear some of the why. Always ask why. That, that's a big thing. And then the second thing, if you do find an area where you're passionate around it, go for it. And um, the other big learning I've had is there's this thought thinking you have as a product person or even a technical person that you need like someone with a go to market or sales background to help you. My belief is you do not. And do not hire that person until you get product market fit or maybe even well after product market fit. There is no replacement like you the product person like doing the customer discovery and validation yourself, because the feedback loops are so much faster. So like you can sell like my I guess my number one recommendation is that you don't need to be a salesperson to sell. My guess is if you're passionate, like your salesmanship will come through and everyone will just know it and see it. So you are the best salesperson of your own company. So have confidence in yourself. That's probably the biggest recommendation.
0: Awesome, I love that. Well, Todd, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your experience and schooling me finally on product-led everything.
1: <laughs> awesome, thanks, Maggie. It's my pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button, drop me a six-star only review, and let me know what you think. Or if you have a topic you'd want me to cover, a guest I should interview, send me a note at maggie at drift Super appreciate everyone for listening. Thanks.